All right. Topics. B-roll. <laughs> All right, everybody. Welcome to Real Poetry. I am your host, Sharon Smith, with my co-host, Marvin, and my other co-host, Auntie Vice. Say hello, everybody. Hello. Today's, this is Owen. This is Owen. Today's um, movie, since it is real poetry, R-E-E-L, which we basically talk about poetry in movies. Movies that may have been poems or poets that have been inspired into movies. Now, today's movie is going to be and most people didn't think about this, Nightmare Before Christmas. Yes, that old cult classic of 1993 release that actually is now a Disney movie, but before it was actually put on Touchstone Pictures because Disney felt the movie was too scary and dark for kids. Nobody's parents died. I mean, that's <laughs> usually a qualification for a Disney film, isn't it? You gotta this kill off a parent. This is pumpkin scream in the dead of night. <laughs> oh, fucking kidding me! This is this is too scary. But yeah, let's blow Bambi's mom away on screen. Let's poison, you know, Snow White. <laughs> yeah, Literally. but this is essentially yeah. rape Sleeping Beauty. Exactly. Uh, wow, that that's wow. But let, let us let's boil it this. The movie grossed up to about seventy six million. It grossed in U.S. $76 million. It's that seems low for a Disney film. I mean, okay, and in fairness, though, Disney was Disney, and this being 1993 when it first came out was a complete left turn for Disney. I mean, gone is the colorful imagery. Gone is that princess and king feel. And instead, you get a Tim Burton, peak Tim Burton, clay-ish animation, dark draft colors. I mean, there were moments of it being bright as hell, but I mean, dude, everything's dark. There's moments where they literally, you have three little kids who are trying to kidnap everybody. Like, fucking they even scared the Easter Bunny. Oh my god, that was the greatest scene ever. <laughs> but yeah, this was a stop motion it was a stop motion animation musical dark fantasy film directed by Henry um, Selick and produced by produced and conceived by Tim Burton. Um, his he actually wrote this up. He actually wrote a poem that inspired this movie, and he actually did this while he was a Disney animator over at Disney. I'll give you a little excerpt of the poem itself. It became it later became a storybook. Ain't that funny, people? Children's storybook, huh? <laughs> it was a late one fall in Halloween land, and the air was quite a chill. Against the moon, a skeleton, a skeleton sat alone upon a hill. He was tall and thin with a bat bow tie. Jack Skellington was his name. He was tired and bored in Halloween land. Everything was always the same. I'm sick of the scaring, the terror, the fright. I'm tired of being something that goes bump in the night. I'm bored of leering my horrible glaze. And my feet hurt from dancing those skeleton dances. I don't like graveyards. And I need something new. 
There must be more to life than just yelling boo. Then out the out from the grave, from a um, from a curl and twist came a whispering, whining spectacle miss. It was a little ghost dog and a faint little bark. The jack-o'-lantern note with a jack-o'-lantern nose that glowed in the dark. It was Jack's dog Zero, the best friend he had. But Jack hardly noticed, which made Zero mad. All the night and through the next day, Jack wandered and walked till he was full with dismay. Into the into the forest just before the night, Jack sat upon an amazing sight. Not 20 feet from the spot he stood was three massive doorways carved in wood. He stood before them, complete in awe. He gazed transfixed on one special door. Entranced and excited, he slided a slight sense of worry. Jack was opened the door in a white, windy flurry. Jack didn't know, but he fell, he fallen down into the middle of a place called Christmas Town. I'm going to stop right there because there's more to this, but you get the gist. So this movie is basically came out from this poem that he wrote and when he was a Disney animator. And from that, he inspired into becoming not only one of his, um, one of the things he loves to do, which is um, stop motion um, pictures, but it also became one of his biggest, his biggest money makers beyond him making Beetlejuice and um, Carolina, which Caroline and uh, Paranorman and a lot of the other ones that are freaking weenie. They've all kind of ran that same, that same, um, um, was it Drury? Drury look, yeah. the, the Drury look. He, he likes the he likes the dark and white. He likes to play with it and stuff. He but likes he, that Victorian look, yeah. yeah. But but just saying that he always he does like stop animation. He likes making claymation products and putting them out there and weaving them in twisty ways to make his his picture even more um, not gory but more um, inter- interesting into the in the golf, yeah, in the golf. So. First of all, let's go with Aunt Device. I know she has a new tattoo, but how do you feel about this movie? You know, I like it in general. I think when you start watching it critically, it gets a lot more interesting. It's almost a meta allegory of the political ramifications for, um, you know, uh, appropriating cultural holidays. If you look at it and to have it, have that story told through Christmas and Halloween, which are already culturally appropriate appropriated holidays, it becomes like this nesting doll of of political commentary. And I thought that was fantastic. Um, and then I also like, you know, they have uh, animation that's uh, reminiscent of of a number of his other movies. A lot of Beetlejuice references in the animation throughout, and he also draws a lot on. Um, Edward Gorey's work in this, which I appreciated. Okay. What about you, Marvin? 
I love this movie. I mean, I kind of grew up in that era where if kind of first came out, became this mass cult darling in critical success. I mean, I was a punk and emo kid. Hot Topic was pretty much my Walmart at that point in my life. <laughs> nice. I mean, dude, it was either Jack Skeleton everything or punk band shirt t-shirts. I love this movie. And just like Andy Weiss said, I really do love it. Like as you, I got older and now that I'm watching it again and like I got to watch it again and look at it in a more critical eye, she's right. Like it, it's just this great little subtle way of talking about how two cultures come to, when two cultures come to meet one another, they not necessarily clash, but they begin these routes of assimilation and they just take on one another's roots. And you watch one culture just specifically turn this holiday into their own kind of like i don't know like asia and christmas there's none of that secularism that you see with christmas where they're talking about jesus christ this and over that it's all the markability it's all that green and red it's just everything yeah if you look at it asia just fucking loves christmas they love the big fat man (laughs) you gotta gotta get that cash they got rid of the whole Chris, the whole Christianity secular part of it, and just basically just okay. with the. Okay, maybe that's wrong of me to say. I mean, Christianity oh, still that. found it's still found no, it's still found its claws in some parts of Asia, but like for a continent that's most mostly Buddhist centric, I don't find that. I at least I don't know because I'm not from there specifically. But it's it's all marketability, baby. Like, I mean, outside of like a few small pocket countries, which are very serious into Christianity, right. I feel like it's just kind of like that. Like when you watch, literally watch something, just take on another culture's holiday or some parts of it and turn it into its own. Like I feel that's definitely what it is. Like Auntie Vice said. Hmm. And so as pointed out the the main character itself is Jack Skellington which just like in the poem he's basically Jack um is getting tired of Halloween and the way it's going and in the in in the midst of it all he does take a uh a, a walk or a journey into the woods just to just to you know clear his mind and figure out what else he's going to do with the big dismay even though his daughter Zero is watching, is walking behind him, but he's like, "Whatever, Zero, just go do you." I think what's what's funny is not not that far. It's the fact of all the stuff that's happening while in Halloween Town. The mayor is trying to find him because so he can basically figure out what's the next, how we're going to do Halloween the next time. Everyone else is basically on their own little tangent. Sally which is the the female character is basically trying to drug the the doctor <laughs> so she can go back outside <laughs> and um, and then everyone's looking around just being told to go find Jack Skeleton because now he's missing and it's almost as if they didn't really put much the much emphasis into those parts. They just put more emphasis into the fact that Jack is basically taking this walk into the woods and they got the whole this whole thing going on behind the scenes is clearly is clearly more interesting than him just walking through the woods. So that's why I I, I did put more. Uh, I did like and enjoy with the fact of him going to the woods and then finding these four these five, these various doors. They had Easter land. They had Thanksgiving land. 
they had um they had um oh St. Uh, Patrick's, Saint Patty's yeah like I saw a Shamrock yeah I saw a Shamrock I, I I was like oh my gosh that's wow I mean they didn't have a door for Halloween because I mean he's already there but then they had one for Christmas Land too and his whole mind went off to the Christmas tree door and he opened it up and fell in. What do you think about his whole point of him? You know, I know the song, the song that came up on that is what is this? What do you think about that song? I think it's great. This is like a pretty musical. I mean, again, this is the nineties. I mean, everything Disney related or any kind of animation thing was like a pretty musical. It was a pretty musical era for anything animated related, but I liked it. What is this? What is it was great. I liked it. It was enjoyable. There's even for something so dark, so dreary, so goth like, there's just this wonderment in Jack that I can just really enjoy. It's kind of like what we're saying. It's just this new culture finding something new. And rather than finding some aversion to it, they are just filled with such wonderment and curiosity that they just have to, have to explore it. Hmm. What about you, Auntie Vice? I just appreciated it that it was a song from Disney in the 90s, not written by Randy Newman. <laughs> Randy Newman's going, what's this? A song not written by me? What is this? You deny me, another Emmy. What's this? Oh, he's just mad he's not getting the royalty checks for this one. <laughs> exactly. Uh, exactly. I actually, actually got to look out and see who actually wrote the, the production <laughs> for the soundtrack or... Jeez, uh, uh, I didn't know. I didn't learn one thing when I listened. I looked at the movie that you know. So it says it was narrated by um, Sir Patrick Stewart. Patrick Stewart. Uh, Patrick Stewart is the one who narrated it. Um, really? Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Uh, I did notice that in one of the lines with the, in the song, "What is this?" He says he looked at a tree and said, "How so queer?" Hmm. Oh yeah, that's right. I was like, "Oh, that's you don't hear that word used in that way anymore, too." Yeah. yeah. So it it was an interesting seeing that line being used as a sign of weirdness. Yeah, or odd, or oddity. It was more of a sound like, "Oh, that's an oddity." So strange, essentially so strange, not normal. Yes. Yeah. And yet, it will still get you booted off the Glad Awards list. <laughs> So true. So true. <laughs> Damn, Monty, why is she coming in with fucking fire, man? <laughs> so, being that this became a musical, what was your favorite song through the whole movie? Oh, me personally, you guys just literally hear, hear you guys heard me literally quoted twice in this the first. Theme. Oh yeah, dude, that's like the best intro intro music ever. This is Halloween. This is Halloween. Oh my God, I love that song. And it's like a great way to introduce Jack Skeleton. I loved it when Marilyn Manson did his own rendition of it. I mean, oh God, that's such a great song. Such a great song. <laughs> what about you, Audie Vice? I have, I have an attachment to This is Halloween, but for a totally different reason. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, after this came out and Marilyn Manson did the, the cover of it, which is a fantastic cover, I was in a very <laughs> intense... Um, suspension and flogging scene and they we had Pandora on and the <laughs> motherfucker served up This Is Halloween for by Marilyn Manson and I just was sending waves to the guy I was playing with like change the music change the music because I cannot stay in some of headspace with This Is Halloween This Is Halloween <laughs> so every time I hear that song I just 
picture being suspended and whipped. <laughs> Good memories. You know what trips me out about it, though? Nightmare Before Christmas is still pretty relevant in spaces mm-hmm. like Hot Topic in the same way that Marilyn Manson is still pretty relevant in spaces, in spaces like, Hot, like Topic. Hot Topic. Yeah, like they, they have not <laughs> nice. lost the relevancy. They're still just as popular. I still listen to some of Marilyn Manson's stuff recently, mm-hmm. and he still holds up. He's still a great artist. Like after, what, 40 years of being on the scene? Dude, homie can like fucking write out some bangers and motherfucker, he can still party like he's 20. Well, when so you start... Fair. Looking like you're a 60 year old rock star that's been done too many drugs at 20, you don't age. So, like, he's been able to stay in that space for so long. Yeah, like, you're right. He's no Axel Rose. Axel Rose still looks like shit. He, he looks pretty good, so, <laughs> in my opinion. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so the, the voice characters um, was done by um, Chris um, Shahardin. Shaheridan and um Catherine Catherine O'Hara. She did Sally. Mm-hmm. And then also the, the sing voices were done by Nat um for um Jack Skellington was done by Danny Elfman. So right. it, so the fact that the movie itself had it had a lot of things that they're trying to point out about the spookiness and stuff and all that. But also the fact that they had Captain O'Hara, who basically, basically also starred in his, um, Tim Burton's movie um, Beetlejuice. It actually, you know, well, she's uh, also Moira Rose. You've you got to look at her as. Uh, see, I just see she, Moira. Yeah, she's in she's Moira Creek. Rose from Shit's Creek. Yeah, Creek, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, see, Moira voice Sally. Yes. Hello, funny. Isn't it? Well, no, it makes sense. Have you not seen how Mora Rose dresses? She looks exactly, exactly it like she's supposed Yeah, she just well, translates in real life really well. Well, and from her character, like, she's dressing, like, straight out of her character in Beetlejuice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Big-ass shoulder pads and black and white. And, mm-hmm. Yeah. She's I mean, the whole point about Mora Rose was, like, she was essentially an out-of-beat actress who couldn't get past specific... Right. Roles. She wasn't exactly a character actress or anything like that. Right. Hmm. But you so know to have her voice me, salary is pretty cool. Yeah. But what surprises me was this isn't exactly Tim Burton's first film. Like he's had no. Beetlejuice, like you guys said, Pee Wee's Big Adventure, and like those Batman films and Edward's yeah. yeah. And we all know that Tim Burton has a pension for always casting Johnny Depp, and he didn't cast Johnny Depp in this one. Not oh. that I'm mad about it because well, this was still a fantastic movie. He didn't but, know Johnny Depp yet at this time. He didn't know well, Edward Scissorhands. Huh? No, he didn't. Wasn't know Johnny, Ed, Edward? He didn't know Johnny oh, Depp yeah, at the time I guess yet. He so during he didn't know Johnny Depp at the time. Edward Scissorhands was the first time he worked. He met Johnny Depp, and then later on. But so, but also I just found out that you know P.B. Herman was actually one of the voices. He's one of the trick or treaters. Oh, was he? You mean the yeah. three kids, the yeah, boogies boy kids, the, or yeah. boogies kids? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, the locked, lock yeah, shock. He was lock. Something <laughs> that's locked. so great. Those kids were my favorite. Those oh, kids yeah. were my favorite. PB Herman was actually one of the voices for um, was um, he played Locke as uh, the one of the trick or treaters on this on this movie. Oh, so, so, they were the best. They were the best. <laughs> I'm sorry, they were the best. They stole the movie away for, from Jack. I'm sorry, they there yeah. is so much personality in these three individuals for what maybe 10 minutes of screen time, 15 tops. I, so my song, I think, was "Kidnapping Santa Claus." 
I just hear that song. Yes, I just yes. so hard. It's like, eh, throw them in a bag. I was like, that's just. I like it. Wow. You know, what's you, so know you can make a rap movie? out of it. Oh, you could. Yeah, but you know what's so great about this yeah. movie, though? Like, it's just. Even though they're calling him, they, they understand that he's not from Halloween Town. They have to give him a Halloween esque name. It's not yeah. Santa Claus. It's Santa Claus, like yeah. claws, claws, like, yeah. like a <laughs> monster's claws. Like they, they try to assimilate these certain things, but they still give it a Halloween Town tinge to it. There's still this Halloween Town esque culture in this Christmas thing. Like it's so great. Which is exactly what happens when one religion will try to appropriate somebody else's. Exactly. Holidays. Yeah. Yeah. It's I exactly it. what we like, do. Yeah, and Jack is going, oh, so you don't have lobster claws like I thought you had when he saw Santa Claus. It was so great. (laughs) I mean, just the point of it, I think what's funny was him trying to explain on the town meeting, trying to explain to um, Halloween Halloween Land or Halloween Town Mm -hmm. how Christmas Town is. And they got these boxes. They call presents, and they're looking at him like, "What's in the box? The box. Is there a hell of a, what's, what's in the box? Yeah, exactly. Is it, is it creepy in the box? Or we got, or or even the stockings? Is there a foot in the stocking? It's like, is it rotten? Is it gory? It's like, no. It's they put these things up here. They do this. It's like, and then even the fact of him actually explaining to about Santa Claus, he basically made Santa kind of look like he was an actual thriller eyes villain who basically swung to the night. And basically carried a big bag for these kids. It was like he jumps into the burglarizing the kids going Sandy Claus. I was like, and they're like, "Woo, this guy's good." Like, exactly. Yeah. Like he's a boo. It's like he was a boogeyman. It's like they don't do you know. It's like he does no. He's not like that. But I even even um the fact that even him trying to explain how him trying to figure out what everything. What everything is about, you know, tinsel. What um, what were the the balls? He crumpled the ball up and tried to put it into a little potion and try to solve solve a, the thing flare up. And he's like, "What does that mean?" <laughs> it it you're right. It is, it's the weird assimilation of trying to explain to somebody what does what is this thing about and how do I fit myself into it? Well, and it's, it's also so using. Great. Is that good? Good. It's using science to try and explain yes. faith. Yes. Mm-hmm. Right? So let's let's run all these he science the experiments. Formula. He had the fucking formula. I even yeah. wrote it down. <laughs> yeah, let's let's try all these experiments to explain this idea of faith and mysticism, you know, which is what American evangelicals love to do is, you know, we'll we'll look into the heavens and there we'll be able to find God or something. And you know, they're trying to <laughs> prove it in all these ways, and you just don't. Yeah, can't. Touche, but so, so on this movie itself, you know, it had um, Jack Skellington also had an antagonist, which was Boogie, was Mr. Boogie, the um, the Boogie Boogie, um, Boogie. Boogie, Boogie yeah. yes. And his protagonist or his antagonist wanted to, you know, basically get rid of Jack and stuff. But they've also found out about, you know, why don't we take Santa Claus, bring this mm-hmm. character in, and get rid of him, too, while we're at it. So it's interesting how Jack became, even though Jack was interested in Christmas, he also was the one that led them to go take out or try to get Santa Claus and get rid of him. So he kind of, even though he became a hero later on, he also became somewhat... Well, I wouldn't say a villain, more of an associate. He kind of 
He he made he he put them in he put Christmas into an invasion. He basically made it into an invasion. They had to go over there and take what Christmas is about. And then he trying to become Santa Claus and try to give gifts out to people. That that was a little disturbing. Him basically having a shrinking <laughs> hand for the kid. And it's like, what'd you get, Tommy? Ah! I was like, yeah, I, I can see that. I mean, I wouldn't call it like I don't know if I would call what he did like trying to get rid of Santa Claus. I mean, like he clearly he clearly saw some reverence. Like he clearly looked at Santa Claus with some reverence. Like because like when the um, the kids Boogie's boys grabbed him and they finally show Santa Claus, he's like, well, "Good, well, hello, sir. You can just take today as a vacation." Like it wasn't like ha 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 evil villain like rubs his hands right. together in like a right. cunning way. He. It was like you get to have a vacation today. Yeah. Well, I get to do what you do. It, it it felt more like that kid who always looked up to his hero and goes, "It's my turn to try to take over the ropes. I'm going to treat you with some level of respect and reverence, but I want to try to fill those shoes." He fucks I'm up. I'm Batman course, today. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. It's like Robin going today. I get to do the Batman duties. I get to wear the Batman underwear instead of the Robin underwear. Isn't it still taking without basically he took hostage, you know, not hostage, but he took over. It was a takeover. He's, I mean, he I feel like to, in, I feel like in Halloween Town lingo, that's not a bad move. That's such a Halloween Town move to do. We kidnap you. That's a sign of respect, man. <laughs> You're important. <laughs> You're important if we don't kidnap you. I mean, come on, it's Halloween Town. They're pretty backwards as it is with what their level of respect is at this point. I mean, we just watched them like do some pretty fucked up things. Kidnapping doesn't seem pretty fucked up. It seems like a pretty respectable <laughs> thing for them. That's, that is true. That is true. But yeah, I, I, I you see that. So with the fact that it was a poem and then became a and then became a movie into a musical, could you see the uh it having any kind of um how should I say not more reverence. Could could you see this becoming because we talked about Mulan being a poem to be a music to be Don't get me started again. Don't get me started. <laughs> but could you see that this having I mean the poem this having the same kind of effect? I mean, I know they added more stuff with the songs and everything else, but could you see this being able to be transitioned from a poem to a movie? How how you feel about that? Yeah. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I definitely thought like the, the poem was very clear on what it wanted to do, and mm-hmm. it translated almost seamlessly, in my opinion, to a movie format. Like you very clearly saw um, Jack doing everything that poem did. It was very essentially what was the first draft to the screen, the script. Mm. That's true. That's, what do you think about that, device? Yeah, no, I thought it translated well. I've been surprised that they haven't, um, that Disney hasn't, one, tried to make it a Broadway musical yet, and uh, two, I think it would make an excellent ballet, actually, with the music. I agree, but I don't, I will fucking write if Disney digs their claws into this and tries to do it their own way. It's theirs. I don't care if it's theirs. We, I, do you want me to go back to my thesis on why Disney should keep their grubby hands off of shit, their own IP? Because I'm more than willing to dig out my thesis and <laughs> give it to you. Because Mulan is a very 
or all of their live actions are a very good reason um, to why Disney should not do anything else to their own IP and let creative forces outside of them try to take over. We've okay. seen what big companies do when they try to take over on their own shit. They don't do a good job. Touche, but like I said, they do own the movie, so technically they can. So, so well, okay, hope. I mean, I'm so not disputing they... that. I'm. So they did make a live Disney not liking the creating to create a live stage adaptation of Tim Burton's Nightmare Before Christmas. So they're in the talks of doing that. Of course, that they does are. not surprise me. Yeah. Of the course, they was, are. The video was shot in 2008. A group of act, acting um, students uh, in the Beverly Hills Playhouse staged the scene. It cost about nine hundred dollars. They basically staged the actual. Um, the thirty-seven-year-old star and co-author of an unauthorized stage adaptation, uh, Los Angeles um, actor and story and songwriter um, Math, uh, Matthew Patrick Davis, spoke on on the newfound video, saying that he to say they have a clip of uh, seven foot eight um, Davis being Jack Skellington. I'm not mad about that. I'm actually not mad about yeah. that. So right now, it's I, workshop, but it says for right now, it's work with classmates and stuff about. But he said, yeah, he said he's making his big debut with the uh, 1994 arrival of Slash Show. So he's basically trying to see about putting this out, even though Disney's is a little bit like, mm, I don't think so. If Disney can find money in it, they'll do it. I no, don't see. Say. Here's the thing: I'm not <laughs> mad about. I'm not mad about individuals creating something wonderful out of something they love. Right. If if you are an individual that holds on so dearly to a specific medium that you love and want to create your own to retell that story in your own way and you do it faithfully, there's nothing about that, that makes me mad. I don't think there's anything bad about it. Like for instance, I think Nintendo just recently served a cease and desist order to some web or game develop like indie game developers who were just trying to make something that they loved. They made some Mario battle royale thing or something <laughs> nintendo yes. got hold of it they served a cease and desist letter to them and then they're now about to release it too and it only like i can only imagine this was only after taking every idea that these creators did that they were releasing for free for other people in public to enjoy because this was something they held on to dearly loved and wanted to, to expand upon i don't think there's anything wrong with that and just like these people who are trying to do their own way of retelling the Jack Skeleton story, dude, all the more power to you. I just hope that something like Disney, some big giant, doesn't step on you when they find out. Yeah, yeah he basically, I mean, he's, he's trying to go without Disney, well, behind Disney back without making it big and known. But but, but my thing is, do you feel if, the, if they took the music out, would this movie hold true? They took all the I musicals out. They took all the musical pieces. They took the the what is this? What they took Boogie Woogie. I mean, they took. Um, it would be a different you know. story. Okay. It, it it would be a different type of film. But sure, you could do it. You could. I don't think it would hold up as well as it does now because there's a there's a reason. I mean, for me at least, mm-hmm. there's a reason I love this movie so dearly. The mu the, not a lot of movies do well with certain soundtrack or musical 
parts of it. Like, right. for instance, if I were to take another Disney-esque film or a Disney IP like Tarzan, Dude, you you literally I could literally do without any of those songs. Like son I could literally man. without the movie. Yeah, exactly. Like you get what I'm saying? Like that son of yeah. Tarzan, son of man, or like all these like I I don't remember who's singing, but like he's trying to sing in this eighties soulful way that's super lame. Phil Collins. Yeah, I, I Phil Collins, there we go. Where it's not even <laughs> singing, like he's trying to sing, talk to you. Like I can do with that. I can do without that. <laughs> the movie does fine without that. You know what I'm saying? But for something like um, nightmare before christmas so much of it is this wonderment so much of it is this fairy tale goth as it may be fairy tale-esque way of telling a narrative so much of it to, to introduce your characters or introduce mm. a new point of the story is through song is through music like to literally tell us about halloween town you made a song about this is halloween and then almost to the third quarter of it that's when you introduce jack skeleton the king of halloween so much of its narrative is built on singing its way through the story hmm. good point what do you think about sally and um jack's relationship as it progressed because he mostly didn't really notice her until later on until later in the movie and stuff Body device you know, I didn't pay nearly as much of attention to that as I should have. Hmm. Yeah, that uh, was definitely one of those B plots that you don't care. I mean, it's it's yeah. typical '90s fair. Wow. It's typical '90s fair. <laughs> I'm sorry, it's typical '90s fair. Yeah, get the that, that romance didn't bother. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was, they're fine. I mean, I'm fine without it, but I'm fine with it. I mean, it's just typical '90s fair. You got to give the main character a a romance interest. But it still has to be B plot enough for you to kind of care, but doesn't seem good. That's it. It could have been a better romance between him and Zero the dog, but you know. Oh, are you kidding me? Zero's the best. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> yeah, like you know, a boy and a dog story would have been more interesting than the totally. romance story. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm not mad about Sally. I think it would have been super cool if Sal- we saw more of Sally and the dog, like her trying yeah. to escape the doctor. Dude, that is such a total tiger parent tiger asian parent the doctor is such a total tiger asian parent that's the shit i used to do to try to get away from my parents oh to sneak out of the window and shit like that poison your mom so she passed out and so you can get the head no okay obviously not but i mean if we were in case you're listening mom no he didn't try to do that no thank god she doesn't understand english so (laughs) we're good like her english isn't that good you're wrong no you're wrong (laughs) <laughs> no, I am wrong. I am wrong. But, I'm, I'm, but she doesn't know how to work friends. technology enough to Still. know how to listen to this. Dr. So, Finkelstein was his name. Yes, Dr. Yeah. Finkelstein. But no, I would have, yeah. But I could have, I could have totally seen Sally and Dr. Finkelstein as a pretty cool B plot or like some right. short standalone, short animated film of them, too. I would have loved oh, to like, see that. But no, I'm not, I'm not mad about Jack and Sally, but it's just, eh, okay. Yeah. So, so since this was a since this was a poem that's, that basically became a storybook and stuff, and since this was his, you know, one of his birthing ideas before, you know, Caroline and all the rest of them, this was actually a starting point to get those get those movies, Paranorman, um, Frank and Weenie, and all those stuff started. Do you feel that his 
even though his poetry is a little subpar, it's, you know, it's more, it's more like, it's more like, it's happy to be hat, you know, happy to feel great with the time to rate, you know, it's like, it's, it's really, it's really on the ball. Um, sing song, sing songy, rhymy poetry. Whereas the movie itself, I took the ideas from this movie and stuff. Do you feel that a poet could see some of the inconsistencies, you know, some of the inconsistencies of the movie and the poem and go, oh, okay, that's that's interesting. You elaborate more on that. Or, oh, that's interesting. Because they always say that poetry is, is basically stories that are basically cut down to just get the little nuggets. That's what I always say. People make poems basically cut down you know, the actual story of something into little bits and you get the, the actual sizable good parts or something like that. The highlights. I don't think anybody's going to watch this for poetry. I don't. It's a fun <laughs> oh. film. It's a cute film. It's it's a good holiday film, right? But nobody's like watching this going, I need to watch a poetry film. Like this is great family film. You know, we'll probably watch it this weekend when Salim is here. Okay. You know, it's <laughs> it's one of those things, but you're not watching it to like, get poetry right it's not like you watch the grinch for poetry not true yeah no, right. i agree with that like you're not i don't think this in its own form should be a poetry film but art's contextual mm. there's just going to be some people who are good in a specific format to tell their narrative mm. the, the filmmaking and design of a very specific style is tim burton's yeah. niche mm. Writing poetry is not going to be that, but damn, but damn, if he didn't know how to turn that bag of shit into some pretty good, pretty looking flowers. Hey, that bag of that bag of crap basically became a storybook. Hey, it did. It became you know, a multi-million dollar film. So it did, and it did. Like, look at this. Like, you... hey, if I could turn one of my poems into a seventy-nine million dollar grossing film, hey, I got FDA dick. Anybody who wants it is welcome to come and turn it into a multi-million dollar film. And then I would see a magical unicorn BDS, BDSM wow. magical unicorn film. I would. You know what? And I would totally. Look. This, this will way off one now. day I'm going to be a parent and my parents have. <laughs> oh, no. What, and my parents have severely, severely hindered me in the sex talk department with my future oh, kids. No. I'm going to show them that on TV movie if it ever comes out. <laughs> That's the birds of the bees talk. That's the birds of the bees talk. There you go. Oh, there you my go. Goodness. I'll do a poetry birds and the bees talk. Thank you. So this is P and V. This is P and V. Wow. The and exactly. That, and that kind of norm. Okay. Yeah. That's... I'm totally. I'm okay with it on TV. Whenever I have kids and I'm not ready to get the sex talk because I'm terrible at it, I'm relying on you. You got it. Yeah, because I'm not good at the see, honey. When a man loves a woman, and it doesn't always have to necessarily be. No, I'm not good no. at that. I need you, me, see. I once began. <laughs> I once began explaining tea bagging is when you're with somebody you care about a lot, and all the time in my head is going, no, no, no. no. You haven't been gaming recently. <laughs> tea bagging isn't a sign of love. That's not a sign. Of no, love. but I was explaining it to a kid who had asked the question. <laughs> And I know I hold him. I'm going. No, it's with the weird stripper you picked up on the night before. You know? No, no. See, that depends. Also depends on where that kid. That because way. that's a, in the gaming world, in the male centric gaming world, that's an act of dominance. That's I did not know dominance. that, and that's where he had seen it, and that's when I figured out that they teabag in in video games. Oh yes. my god, that it's was a learning a experience. Thing. 
It's, it's weird. Oh my god, it's a it's an act of dominance, man. <laughs> I teabag you if I think you're shit or I don't like you. I will teabag you to the end of days. I will shit on you in game and then I will teabag you. Hey, uh, bringing it back from the tea. <laughs> Sharon's going to need to add it a few minutes okay, after. Seriously. Okay. No, keep those in. Keep those in. I mean, while yeah. I have a large white ball in my hand, you know. <laughs> no one's seeing this. Okay. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of which, so, where do you go? We do a star, we do a snap rating on this, our snap judgment people. Where we basically say, we basically say three snaps, it was excellent. It was pure joy. The movie did everything possible. Good. Two snaps said it wasn't bad, but it wasn't that good either. And one snap means, eh, yeah, but, yeah you, you can go get trick or treating on that day, kids. Go trick or treating. They don't need to see it. So, and we do a half a snaps in increments. So, I would like to say, Auntie Vice, what would you give? A Nightmare Before Christmas. Two and a half snaps. It's a fun film. It's a good family film. Hang out, watch it. It's light, fair. I enjoy it. Marvin, how many snaps would you give it? I give it two and a half snaps, too. I mean, it holds up. Animation's still pretty dope. I like the story. There's something about the music that just really captures my sense of wonderment as a back in the day as a child but there's just some narrative points or just some storytelling points that i just could have done without i will i will say i will give also two and a half snaps the movie did hold up and i haven't seen it for almost dang near five years now i mean it's still you know you can still it's still popping over at every um, Halloween movie s thing. They kind of use this as now the no the new Turner movie as Christmas Story. They they kind of yeah. and throw it everywhere they can. I know Disney when they go to Disneyland, it's in everything. So oh, yeah, it's like their it's like one of their main Halloween themes and everything oh, like that. Like it's, it's their money maker. It's Halloween. <laughs> you know, I, you know it'd be the whole villain thing, but yeah, this is their how this is their Halloween paramount paramount maker. Which is, I think it's funny because you never see Jack Skellington and Mickey Mouse on the same turn, which is funny to me. <laughs> they, there was a moment where that was, they were together. And just like we we're talking previously, Jack and Skellington and Disney or uh, Mickey Mouse literally shared a video game together. Oh, you talk about the magical Kingdom, Kingdom Hearts. Yeah, Kingdom, yeah, Hearts, Kingdom yeah. Hearts. Like literally, I mean, not that they were in the same scene or anything together, but they shared an intellectual property moment together. True. True. Oh, okay. So I would say, so we all together, that is seven and a half snaps given to this movie. So I want to say to y'all, would you basically give this movie to more to a poet or non-poet? Non. Non. It's definitely a non-poet moment. Like it's, this is just too kid friendly. Too, it's just too lightweight to be intellectually for a poet. Okay, so yeah, so I also say this is not a non. This is a non poet movie. So to all my poet heads out there, go see your. Go show your kids this movie. But just know that the poem, just like the storybook, is interesting. But the movie, that's all the fluff. So. 
go on our podcast, I Am Big Poetry Podcast, where you can share, like, and subscribe this episode. You can go check out um, Marvin on uh, Instagram under Starving Marvin. And is there a number on that? Starving Marvin 9? Starving Marvin 09. Starving Marvin 09. See, I messed that up. You can check it out on Starving Marvin 09. You can check out Auntie Vice on Auntie Vice and all social media. You can check me out on Rest Wonder, or you can check out this podcast under Iambic Zine. That's I-A-M-B-I-C-Z-I-N-E. Thank you, people, for coming out. We'll see you soon. Mates.